there. You're listening to the Only Schoolers podcast. I'm Gina Prosh, and hanging out here with me as always is my co-host, Kristen Edwards. Where else would I be on a podcast Thursday but here, along with a whole lot of listeners? Wow, you guys, seriously, you do not know how wonderful it is to see so many of you join us each week. We get the statistics, we get the numbers, and we're just finding more and more listeners are finding us. So thank you so much for all the tags on social media, for passing along the word in your homeschool groups. We just love that you're dropping by our social media pages. So really, anytime you want to hang out with us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just use our Only Schoolers handle there. Yes, and we are on all the major podcast platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you happen to listen to your podcasts. There is new content on the first and third Thursdays of each month, and this month, a special five-minute bonus episode because there is a fifth Thursday. And indeed, we do love seeing our Only Schoolers community grow. You know, Gina, that kind of reminds me, you know, when you said grow there, seeing how fast this year is passing by made me realize it might be a good time to kind of do a quick update on the word and phrase that we chose back in January, our guiding word phrase for 2021. And when you said grow, I just thought about how your word for 2021 is flourish. How's that going? Uh, the flourishing is coming right along. I've gotten a couple of new gigs this year, and they are providing some regular outlets for my writing. Also, if anyone out there in podcast land is looking for a freelance writer, please look me up. Also, I'm hoping to have an announcement on another writing project in a couple of weeks. So if everybody crosses their fingers and toes, maybe I'll have some good news for you. On the homeschool front, Wyatt's working on his real estate course. He's got his summer job. He's enjoying his 17th year of summer. Um, It's really kind of his last open summer because next year he'll have graduated and it'll be really a whole new ball game as he prepares for what comes next. How about you? Are you still running mad? (laughs) Yeah, I guess you could say that. So yeah, um, I'll remind listeners, my phrase for 2021 was from Jane Austen. Run mad as often as you choose, but do not faint. So traveling is still a little bit limited, thanks pandemic, but my daughter and I did dust off our suitcases and hit the highway for a road trip through Georgia in the spring. We started in Atlanta. We just kept heading east until we hit the Atlantic Ocean at Tybee Island. So you were gone before all the jellyfish hit the beach, right? Oh my gosh, yes, but wouldn't that have been wild to see? It was like a week or so after we left, and that would have been something to run from, but no, it was just (laughs) the two of us in the minivan making memories. But really more than running mad and having our adventures is that do not faint idea that I also kind of wanted to to think about for this year that need to just keep on enduring to try not to get discouraged. And honestly, I'm going to say that last part's been really difficult. It's been nice to have that phrase to kind of touch back on to remind me to keep going. Things are sort of getting back on track, but I just found out that my grandma's assisted living home is on lockdown again. So that means no visits, which is hard. But overall, I think I think my running mad not fainting is going well. Well, to see what the next six months bring. I really think it's helpful to label a year, um, kind of create some focus to frame the 2021 experience, if you will. Well, I think it's interesting that you describe it like that, because that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today with our first theme of labels. Oh, for sure. Nothing like a label to frame something or focus in on it. Um, and not all labels are bad, am I right? No, absolutely not. And that's actually one of the things, you know, I, I want to talk about with you because they're not, <laughs> they're just not. And you might wonder how listening fits into that construct of labels, but I assure you it does. 
So just hang with us until the second half of the episode. We'll make it all make sense. Because basically what we're talking about is avenues for communication. And who doesn't need more of those? Don't you know it? Every time I think I've got my communication skills finally honed, I find out there's still some edges to smooth out. (laughs) Yeah, me too. But, you know, we're homeschoolers, so lifelong learning is just what we do. Oh, good point. (laughs) I personally do think labels can be helpful in communicating, as long as we're clear on what a particular label is or how it's being defined. And so, you know, when I started thinking about this, I just thought, you know, here's some questions I want to talk to Gina about when I, when I think about labels. So in no particular order, I started wondering, why do we label ourselves? How is that helpful to how we see ourselves and perceive ourselves? What does labeling myself as a home educator mean? Is it okay for me to label my kid? How can that idea of labels help me communicate with others more clearly? So I think that's enough to get us started, don't you? Oh, I think so. There's a lot to unpack just with those few questions. So so what are your first thoughts? Okay. Well, as Julie Andrews says in the song, start at the very beginning. That's a very good place to start. So I'll just go with my first question. Why do we label ourselves? Personally, I think I do it. I think we all probably do it to identify the parts that make up the whole of who we are. It's just kind of a form of self-expression, really. A label says, this is who I am. But don't think that it's all that I am. It's just part of me. It's the part I want you to start with. Keep going, though. You'll find more. And if you look at my personal Facebook profile, it says this. Mom, writer, home educator, lifelong learner, cat herder, especially the last one these days. So many cats. And and I do have a little tag under that uh, from Joan of Arc. I am not afraid I was born to do this, which is kind of like, I can do all of these things. Now, I could pick my favorite label, and mom would win, hands down, but I'm not only a mom. I'm all of those other things that I listed, and even more than that, you know, Facebook's face, their limits kind of cut me off. But those are the top picks that I use to label myself, and I do it so people can start to understand who I am, or at least understand how I see myself and where I'm coming from. And then after you get to know me, you'll see all other sorts of things that I am, um, like a J-Knight and an Avenge nerd. But just out of curiosity, and I think I might know a little bit, but how do you label yourself and why do you do it? Well, since you were mentioning Facebook labels as we were talking about this episode, I pulled up my Facebook page as well and looked at what I'd written there. And I've massaged it a little little bit. So oh, changing your labels reads. already, huh? <laughs> changing my labels, exactly. So it reads writer, teacher, speaker, entrepreneur, homeschool mom, and individualist. The first few are labels of what I do career-wise, and the last couple um, are more of, of who I am. You know, And like with you, my favorite role is being a home educator mom to, to my guy. The label that's probably the most important to me and the one that shapes the things that I do is individualist, you know, like Dr. Seuss, you know, today you are you, it is truer than true. There is no one alive who is youer than you. Um, So in all of that, uh, I think we kind of touched on why labels are helpful, maybe at least from a personal standpoint. Do you think that they're helpful when you're looking at other people though? Okay. I know it's very popular to say, I don't believe in labels. I don't want my child labeled, but in general terms, I do think they can be helpful, but for me, it's just a starting point. It's just a quick dip into communication. It's how we understand. It's not an excuse, but it can be an explanation. After that, we have to begin the hard work 
of really understanding each other beyond those labels. So if someone comes up to me and says, hi, I'm Jamie and I'm autistic, I'm going to accept that that's how she sees herself and that's something important that she wants me to know about her. And then we can start communicating from there. And it's the same with someone saying, hey, I'm Steve and I'm a singer in a barbershop quartet. I mean, aside from being just like a super cool gig, right? I'm going to know from his statement that he's very proud of that and he wants to talk about it. I do think, though, that there is the potential for people to use labels to put you in a box and that leaves no room for growth and that's not good. So I'll be the first to admit that only looking at a label is not helpful. So probably a well-known example, at least in our house, is, and you know what I'm going to say, Gina, Loki. <laughs> God of mischief himself, cat Yes, but that's exactly, <laughs> yes. And that's exactly my point. If you think you know who Loki is because you know his label as the God of mischief, well, then you don't know much about Loki because he's so much more than that. Now, I'll admit I've never read the comic books, so I'm only talking about how his identity was developed and perceived in the MCU, the movies. But his character there has a lot of depth. So his label, it's a good place to start to understand him, but don't stop there. If you just look at how he labeled himself as he approached Thanos in the Infinity War movie, he says, I, Loki, Prince of Asgard, Odin's son, the rightful king of Jotunheim, god of mischief. I mean, see right there at the end, even he doesn't choose the god of mischief as his top label. It's just one part of who he is. So I think what you're saying is this. A label is helpful as a starting point if someone shares it with you or when you need to understand something quickly. But there's always going to be more to the story. So, like, I think labels are kind of a shorthand for people. Your example of Loki. Um, there's a backstory. Or as Paul Harvey used to say, there's the rest of the story. But like you said, when we're dealing with people, I think labels can help us, you know, prioritize maybe what's the most important thing about that person as that person relates to us. So for instance, Brent is my son's skating coach, and I've known Brent for a lot of years right now. He's a vegetarian. He's got a crazy green thumb. He's got a wonderful singing voice. I also know when it comes down to my relationship with him, the single most important thing about Brent for me is his knowledge of skating and his ability to communicate that to Wyatt. So in short, the label is a way of prioritizing that information. It becomes a shorthand to deal with a huge bunch of stuff. There's always more to everything than the label we tack onto it. If, if it's a computer file on our hard drive, if it's a, a box in the attic, it might say Christmas decorations, but that's not everything that's in there. Um, it also applies to people that we know. Yeah. I mean, labels are useful, but like you said, they're not the whole story. <laughs> Believe me, I got tons of Christmas boxes with more than Christmas stuff in there. <laughs> so as my pastor sometimes says, he'll have a long introduction and he goes, well, that was the introduction. Now here's the sermon. So if we think about and if we apply everything that we've just said about why we label ourselves, how are they useful, that sort of thing. If we apply all of that to the realm of homeschool, I have to ask myself, what does labeling myself as a home educator mean? Oh, that's a good question. So how do you answer yourself? <laughs> you know, when you say that, I know you've heard this, that old homeschool joke, something like, I'm not talking to myself. I'm having a parent-teacher conference. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> it's bad. It's an oldie and a goodie, but it's, it's bad. But when I label myself a home educator, to me, what I think I'm saying and what I hope people understand, it means that I've chosen to take a different path for my child's learning. 
that I've got an independent, kind of radical approach to passing along a love of learning to my child. I'm not instilling her with anything. I'm not even necessarily always teaching her in the traditional sense of that word. I'm just letting her experience the world and explore it and figure herself out. So I think the home educator label, it says I'm a collector. As we said last time, I'm stealing ideas. I'm making them my own. I'm keeping the things that work for us. It's saying that I absolutely do respect the public and private and parochial school teachers that I know, but my child needs something more. Or maybe I just wanted to give her something more, something that I sense wouldn't be hers if she continued along a public school path. It's saying that there are words that describe me, that label me, if you will. I'm proud of those words, ambitious, creative, committed, different imaginative. I'm definitely optimistic. I mean, I seriously, I sure hope this whole thing works out. I'm a seeker. I'm a truth finder. The labels says it ain't easy, but it's worth it. So what about you? When you label yourself home educator, what does that mean to you? Well, one of the labels I do have on my Facebook page is teacher. And truly, I was a teacher long before I became a parent. I mean, I tutored kids while I was in high school. I taught piano lessons. If you've listened to the podcast for a while, you know my background is in academics. So I've taught English in one way or another for decades. And because I've been on the other side of the desk, you know, I really, really respect anyone who is teaching in public or private school settings. It's hard. And many times it is thankless work. So by labeling myself a homeschool mom, a home educator, that just means I've kind of niched down and taken responsibility for my son's education myself or ourselves since my husband's also part of the home, home education package here. But because my husband is actually every bit as much an individualist as I, we both wanted an education that was really uniquely tailored to Wyatt. Like you say, we wanted something different for our kid. So even though we label ourselves more unschooly right now, we've always been kind of an eclectic homeschool family. I'm so glad you said that because that's kind of what the next thing I wanted to talk about. I know that we've talked before about all the different styles of homeschooling and how it's really easy to get caught up in those labels. Oh my gosh, yes. Like you hear somebody say, I'm a Charlotte Mason homeschooler and you know, that means something. Or in my case, I'm an unschooler. That means something. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you get to describe your journey as a homeschooler however you want to, but just be sure that clinging to that label doesn't mean you're excluding other people or you're putting yourself into a box. I mean, there's always room to grow. So use your label as a starting point, but know that it's definitely not all of who you are as a home educator. Be sure there's room to grow there. Oh, and that's that's really the key, that idea of room to grow. With unschooler, now there's a label that's got a lot of room to grow, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's also a mixed bag. Some people hear unschooler and they think that means no schooler. And there's really nothing that could be further from the truth about that. That interpretation of the unschooler label would be completely wrong. Unschooler simply means we're not necessarily married to any given curriculum, unless, of course, your kid wants to be married to that curriculum. So, you know, for instance, we use math, you see, but that's because that's what Wyatt wants. Um, it's easier for him to figure out how things work when it's presented in a methodical way. And in the case of Matthew C., it was a very hands-on way during those early years. In our case, unschooler also means being really entrepreneurial, having lots and lots of interaction with the real world, working a job, things like that. In short, though, I do think we want to be really careful about labels, especially when it 
does come to our kids. Is it okay for us to label our kids? I mean, we're around them all the time. We have some ideas about who they are. I got, I've got a few thoughts about this, but you tell me what you think first. Okay. Ooh, no pressure here. Hopefully our thoughts mesh. Um, but if they don't, we're offering perspectives. I am going to start by contradicting myself a bit because I know I said earlier that I'm mostly okay with labels, but in this case, I'm really not. And that's primarily because when we label our kids, that's us labeling them. That's us telling them how we see them. And honestly, that can be harmful, I think, because as educators, our words carry a lot of weight. It's a lot of power. Our kids look to us for guidance and for assurance, and our words matter. So when you say, oh, he's not mathy, or oh, she's a non-reader, maybe for you, you're just using that shorthand communication that we discussed. Maybe you're trying to talk to another parent, and it's a good way to create some dialogue. And maybe it's not a negative label. Maybe you say, oh, she's so athletic, or he's so artsy. But what if your kid heard that? Can you imagine? I mean, how might they react to hearing those words from us, us just talking about them like they're not even there? How could that limit or affect who they think they are? So one of the huge soapboxes that I have, um, I've even written an article about it for the Libertarian Republic, and I'll include a link to that in the show notes, but it's the idea of natural talent. So to use a really easy example, it makes Wyatt crazy when people say that about us skating. Oh, you've got, you're such a good skater. You've got so much natural talent, or I could never do that because yada, yada, yada. So a few years ago, he started correcting people saying, oh, I'm really a good skater because I've practiced a lot, you know, <laughs> because that's how you get to be a good skater. Um, and you're right. The, oh, she's so creative or he's so good at math. All those things hit a wall at some point. So I'll talk about myself as a writer. I don't care how good a writer you are or how good a writer you think you are. There is a point when you realize you stink. You just stink as a writer and it's all really hard work. Um, you gotta, and you've got to keep pushing through that. If you're going to be an artist, there are going to be a lot of failures along the way. There are going to be a lot of hard lessons and a lot of perseverances. I mean, look at Da Vinci's notebook. Look at his paintings. I mean, they, they look at him with x-rays and it's like three layers of portraits underneath the Mona Lisa. I guess Da Vinci thought those didn't make the cut. <laughs> yeah, but it happens with artists all the time. I mean, and writers, we're hitting the delete key all the time. So labeling a kid as not mathy, that means they've got an excuse to not even try at math. It also invalidates somebody else's hard work because, oh, you're just naturally good at math. No, as all my doctorate in mathematics friends from my time in the, at the college, all of those math department people will attest they have struggled with math too, all of them. And even things that you love will at some point become a struggle. So you need to normalize that. Bottom line, don't put your kids in a box. Nope. No boxes. We want the freedom to choose labels. So give that same freedom to your kids. Oh, absolutely. And honestly, I'm impressed with how kids today see and label themselves. So September has this Instagram account, and I love to see the way she personalizes her profile. I mean, she and her friends, they change their profile descriptions like they change clothes, which is to say, 
often. And each time, it just reflects a bit more about who she is, or who she is at that specific time anyway. So some of the words I've seen other kids use to describe themselves on their Instagram, um, they label themselves, and they use some really great ideas. They're bookworms, they're plant moms, artists, animal lovers. One of my favorites, somebody described themselves as spam. Then there's a gamer. Then they, you know, they might add a quote or a Bible verse or a random movie line. And that all kind of builds up to describe, to create this label of what they think about themselves at that moment. So right now, and I, I'm sharing this with September's permission, she's labeled herself a glorious representation of chaos. And I love that. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's an awesome label, Slick. She says she's not a writer. But our kids are creating themselves. They're finding the labels that suit them. And those labels help us as parents see all the different parts of that whole person, much more than maybe a label that we would give them. So does Wyatt have any ways that he labels himself? Um, yeah, he, obviously, I don't think he changes his labels as often as girls change clothes. But, you know, <laughs> I asked him what labels he would use to describe himself. And it was interesting because his answer was primarily related to things that he does. So they were also things that put him into larger groups. Uh, example, homeschooler antique collector, model train enthusiast, local historian, skater. All of these things put him inside this larger group of people. So people from our homeschool group, uh, people who are involved at the antique shop where he works, people who are other members of the Ives Train Society that he's a member of, this network of people who are interested in local history, the other kids at the rink. But I think it's important because he's using those labels to communicate something about who he is, what he enjoys, and kind of how he sees himself, which is kind of a great way to move into our second theme, which is listening. Because what is listening if not part of communication, a form of communication? I'd venture to say that listening is just as important as talking when it comes to communication, because it's how you know your message was really received. Oh, definitely. Like if I ask Wyatt to do something and he goes off and, you know, completely ignores me, I can be assured there was some sort of communication failure. For real. And at that point, you could label him uncooperative or whatever, or you could try to understand where the communication broke down between your mouth and his ears. See, and we told you we would connect labels and listening. Yes, we're really good like that. <laughs> but Gina, have you ever seen those charts that compare the ideas of hearing versus listening? I mean, some of those differences are really remarkable if you stop and think about it. Oh, yeah. For example, hearing is a really passive thing, but listening is active. Hearing is physiological, where listening is psychological. And, and what about hearing being only one sense while listening is multisensory? That's kind of an intriguing thought there. It's also one of the reasons email and texting are so tricky. We're listening without any of the facial expressions, intonations, or body language that help us hear the message. In general, there's less misunderstanding when you're communicating with someone face-to-face. The next best is with telephones because you still have inflection to give you clues uh, on things like joking or sarcasm. 
also one of the reasons I desperately rely on emojis when I'm texting. I joke a lot, but it's really, really hard to make sure that that's clear in text. Oh, same. I mean, I hope the people that I'm mostly texting with know that I'm a jokester, but I'm totally guilty of overusing emojis. But you know, we're writers. We just really want people to understand the message, right? And I love that. And I love that that's why we have all of these senses, because it gives us so many ways to acquire knowledge. So why don't we use all of them to listen? So you kind of got me thinking here. You know I love to cook. Everyone who knows me knows that. And feeding people, it just, it just makes me happy. So a few months ago, I noticed that there were some more leftovers after our meals than usual. And we weren't really eating them up in the following days as, as we usually do. And it's not that the food tasted bad or it smelled bad. I mean, see, that's me adding some senses to my knowledge acquiring system. I started using my eyes and I started listening with my eyes to what the leftovers were telling me. And they were saying, we got a lot of meat left over here. And all of that kind of communicated that my daughter was starting to lean toward a more veggie centric style of eating. Now we hadn't had an actual conversation about it at that point. But she was still communicating with me, and I still had something to listen to. I just had to listen to it in a different way than with my ears. So when I listened to that nonverbal communication, the doors for actual verbal communication were opened. And it led to us sitting at the computer, and we're searching for veggie-based meals and a whole lot of new recipes for me to play around with. So listening with all of my senses equals communication successful. So... Let's talk about those ways that we can take this kind of idea of listening with all of our senses and apply it to homeschooling, other than just like homeschool lunches. Right. <laughs> but it really does open up a lot of possibilities, though, doesn't it? I mean, it's just like, take this extra step here. So maybe one day out of the blue, you hear pencils dropping, you hear paper crumpling, you hear this huge sigh of, oh, I hate math. Don't start with the labels, please. Chances are your kid's not being lazy, your kid's not non-mathy, your kid's not disrespectful. Listen harder. Use all of your senses. So what do your eyes see? Do they see tears? Is there a forehead creased with worry? What does your touch tell you? Are there sweaty palms involved here? If we listen, if we really, really listen with all of our senses, that I hate math becomes... I'm struggling and stressed out. Please help me. Oh, exactly. I know I know what you're talking about. Also, I think it's tremendously important with extracurricular activities. So maybe your kid has always loved a particular activity like soccer or softball, and suddenly they're foot dragging when it comes time to go to practice. When kids start making comments about coaches or other people on the team, it's time to really listen. What's going on here? Do they not like the sport any longer? Or is there a problem with bullying from a teammate? Are coaches showing favoritism to one of the players or singling out one person on the team for a lot of criticism when truly the whole team needs to work on something? What's really at the root of those those comments? Right. And you listen with all the nonverbal stuff that your kid's telling you, foot dragging. I mean, yeah, sure, they may say, I don't want to go. But before they say that, there's a lot of other clues if you listen. I just love this idea of adding multi-sensory listening to my homeschool toolkit. Now, I'm on the downhill slide of homeschooling. You are too. 
But you know, there's always room for some new ideas. Because I think we all know that when you spend as much time together as a homeschooling parent and kid do, and it's a lot, there's a lot of nonverbal communication going on. So pay attention to it. Listen with every sense you've got, because the knowledge you acquire will only help strengthen your relationship with your kids. And that, for me, that's the number one goal of this whole audacious experiment. And the great thing about listening with all your senses is that even after the homeschool years are a far distant memory, listening with your whole heart will always serve to strengthen the relationship you have with your children. So listeners, listeners, um, I hope that something we said today has gotten you thinking about all the avenues of communication we have available to us. Yeah, from the way we label ourselves to listening to our kids in a multisensory way, there's just a lot of information out there. So how will you use it to strengthen your homeschool today? Let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is OnlySchoolers in both places. You can also email us at OnlySchoolers at gmail.com or find us at our website, OnlySchoolers.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us financially. There are monthly expenses associated with keeping all of this and our back episodes up and running. You can also always pop over to our Etsy shop and grab some of the fun Only Schooler stuff that we have for you there. But most importantly, just keep spreading the word about the Only Schoolers podcast, please. Thanks so much for listening today. We will be back in a couple of weeks with our five minutes. And then the week after that, we will be back with the letter M. So until we meet again, have a marvelous day. Thank you.